is the beauty of what we can be as our church. We may not be lots of things, but we can be some things. We can be, you know, you guys don't maybe see it, but, you know, watching Leela and Eliana worshiping this one, and they're worshiping, and I'm just, you know, looking at the screen on there, and I, I saw the other kids worshiping, and that smile on their face. And that's what we can do. We may not be able to do everything, but we can do something. We can be who God is calling us to be. We can live into who God is calling us to be. We can do that as everything I have up here is going to fly away. We can do that because God is faithful. God is faithful. It's not about us. But when we open the space for God to work in, Scripture teaches us time and time again that God will show up. And he doesn't just sit back. He is not a God that started things in motion and said, okay, hands off now. You go ahead and make the best of us. There are some who might believe that that is who God is. But if we look in Scripture, we realize that that is contrary to the truths of Scripture. That God is active in our world. That God is faithful. I don't know where you are this morning. Maybe this is the only thing you need to hear. But that God is faithful. Look at the words of Deuteronomy. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He's the only God. And he is a faithful God. He's keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. You see that? He's faithful all the way beyond when you and I can even imagine generations being blessed. I mean, it says that those who love and keep his commands. I mean, this isn't just a blank check. God just doesn't hand a blank check and hand put his hands off. That's not faithfulness. Faithfulness is being active. But he says his covenant promises he will bless to a thousand generations. He will also go on and says, but those who hate him, he will repay to their face by destruction. He will not be slow to repay them to their face, those who hate him. God's faithfulness also means God will redeem those who do evil. The book of Judges highlights this. The book of Judges highlights God's faithfulness, and it also highlights that God cannot fail. You say, well, didn't you just say that? Yes, but I think sometimes we need to understand God cannot fail. There are some things because of who he is he can't do. He can't lie. He can't uh, become, he's not going to become something else. Why? Because he said, this is who I am. And he can't fail. Which also means his purposes, his will cannot fail. They will happen. And over the time of life, some of that has led people to say, well, because uh, God ultimately will always accomplish what he does, I don't have to do anything. I should sit down and let God do what God's going to do. But we read in Scripture that that is not what God does. God could. God could, be, could uh, miraculously, by a voice from heaven, as he has done before, pronounce his goodness on somebody to where they will respond to him. 
But we read in all of Scripture that God doesn't always do that. He uses people like you and me. We learned last week, he uses the qualified, he uses the unqualified, he uses the unexpected. And that is good news. Because God wants and desires to bring justice, true biblical justice, to the oppressed. We read in Judges the revolving theme, the revolving kind of uh, phrase. Again, Israelite, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, now that Ehud was dead. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan. And uh, he cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years or so, and they cried out to the Lord for help. God cares about the oppressed. It was tucked throughout the covenant of Leviticus and Deuteronomy. Look out for the oppressed among you. And in those days, it was the widows and the orphans who were prime examples of the oppressed that would constantly be taken advantage of. And he said in one place, I have my, my transition. I have a key here to hear the cry of the orphans and the widows. But he wouldn't just leave it there. Throughout the covenant of the Old Testament, which is still uh, true today, as Jesus said, and when he fulfilled the words of Isaiah, he said, I've come to release the oppressed from oppression. He said, be kind to the aliens and strangers among you. He wasn't talking about supernatural aliens from outer space. He was talking about the immigrants that would make their way into Israel. In time. Because the hallmark of time of the nation of Israel is the exodus from Egypt. That is the hallmark of their history. And time and time again in the Old Testament throughout the, the historical books like Judges through the Prophets, they remind the people where they started to go wrong was when they forgot that they came out of the exodus of Egypt by the hand of God. And they thought they were better than they were. They forgot. And they started to oppress one another. Interesting that in uh, the book of Chronicles, we read that Solomon captures and becomes a man with chariots and horses and all the things they fled Egypt from. As a way, of not just literally for the writer to tell us about Solomon, but a way, I think, for God to impress upon the nation they became what they were saved from. And if you study church history, we as the church still struggle with some of those things to this day. Not intentional. Not because we look to be oppressive. But I think we need to see time and time again that God hears the cries of the oppressed. And that's good news for you and me. Because you can cry out in your pain, in your darkness, in your oppression that you are experiencing, and God will hear. He's not silent to the cries that you experience. He's not deaf to the issues 
that we face. He isn't blind to the injustices that happen to us personally and beyond. And God is faithful. Amen? And because he is faithful, all of history is moving towards a plan. And we read the end in Revelation. And sometimes that can get us once again to be a little passive because we know where it's going. So we just hope it'll get there. But the truth that we learn in Judges is God wants to use us as deliverers to, to respond to the call of the oppression that is going out in this world. He wants to use us. And we may throw up our heads, no, 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 he can't use me. Let me remind you of the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 1. Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. If you are a believer in Christ Jesus, the truth is you are called. There's no doubt about it. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. No, thanks, Paul, I think. I mean, you didn't have to remind me of who I was, but that's the point. Actually, we do need to be reminded because, see, sometimes we will think that we're not up to the standards of things. And Paul is reminding what I think we see in Judges, especially foreign Bibles, we will see. He goes on to say, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. Despise the cross, foolishness, the cross <clears throat> in Paul's days. The weak things, you, me, <clears throat> women. Things that don't, <clears throat> well, things that don't make sense, things that can't be explained, to prove who he was. Why? Because God wants to use us. You don't get a pass to say no, not me. We read here. If you're looking at Judges four and five, and I hope you'll open up. We read here that that there is someone that was called. Deborah, a prophet. Okay. She, the, the word here, uh, I think a better way of saying it, she was, she was like lightning. Her name means lightning. Was leading Israel. We read in, in Judges 5, which in Judges 4 and 5 are two ways of telling the same story. One is the narrative, a very logical, very, it's not just historical, but this happened, and this happened, and this happened. Judges 5 is a song, a poetry. And poetry and songs can say things that, that just speaking the words can't. Maybe there's a rhythm with them. We need both. And so just even think of this. Here we have, and this is one of my arguments, that, that throughout all of Scripture, God will use who God wants to use. He is using Deborah. She's not the first. There's been a long history of prophets who were women. And we need to honor that. We need to see that. He uses Deborah, a prophet, 
And, and it wasn't just she thought she was a prophet. The whole nation would go to her and say, tell us what to do. Help us to hear from the Lord. What does the Lord have of us? She's there. She was leading. And, and what is interesting here is she sends for Barak. Hey, he doesn't come to her. She sends and says, go find me this man. And he comes. Because he understands that if the prophet of God, if the man or woman of God calls you, your best response is to go. Okay? This is the, I mean, Deborah was a highly esteemed. Though by all accounts, we can look back and go, that's not the way it was supposed to be. God doesn't always work in the ways that we think God can work. Because God will do what God wants to do. He uses Deborah called for out and says, the Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, go. As the Lord not said, go. Go to the battle. You are going to get Sesera, uh, or however you really pronounce him, the commander of the king of Canaan's army. And you're going to get victory over him. The promise was there. And, and then there's something that Barak does that, that baffles scholars, commentators, pastors. He says of these, if you go with me, I will go, but if you don't go with me, I won't go. Now, was Barak just being a coward? I, I don't know. I think there are two ways. One is, yeah, he's a little uncertainty in the word of God. And he wants assurance of the word of God. I think that kind of is part of it. Because that gets him in trouble. Because in the song, and in fact, in the next thing, surely I will go with you, Deborah says, but because of the course you are taking, because of this, he, he, there seems to at least be a little bit of a doubt in his mind that what, what she says, I mean, he's probably thinking, uh, do you know who David is? I mean, he has chariots with iron around it. Okay? Like, they know military. I don't even have an army. I got no way of fighting this guy. I think that's part of it. But I think what else he is saying is he understood that the presence of God was in Deborah. He just wants God's presence to go with me. He wants to make sure that the presence of God was with me. Because if he doesn't have the presence of God, he knows that even if he could do it on his own, he won't get it done. I think, though, as you and I look at it today, God wants to use us. And we have the presence of God in us. So there's never a time where we as believers can say, well, God, if only you will go with me, I will go. I think the Lord says, I'm in you, folks. Go. Has the Lord not said that if you are in Christ, Christ is in you? The words of Paul. And so we have to go. What is our task? What was the task there? Be willing. How willing was Barak? I think we could argue if we were blue or red in the face. But the, re the reality is, is he may not have been as fully willing. In fact, we read in Judges 5 that there were some in the nation of Israel that were willing to fight with the nation, with, with Barak. 
And then there were other Israelites that said, I don't think so. I don't think so. It says here, Gilead, the tribe, stayed beyond the Jordan. Dan, why did he linger by the ships? Asher remained at the coast and stayed in his coves. Yet, the people of Zebulun risked their very lives. So did Naphtali on the terraced fields. And we see blessings for those who are willing to do what God is asking them to do. And we see a curse for those who did not come to help the Lord. See, because if you read Judges 4 and 5, you get this sense that the battle was never Deborah's or Barak's or J.L.'s. There is a greater force behind. The battle belongs to the Lord. And when you are willing, great things happen. Not because we deserve greatness. We don't. But our God is compassionate. He is full of mercy. He is full of love. And he really wants to do good things for his people. He's not a stingy God. But see, we can't expect the blessings of God without being obedient and willing to do the things of God. And many of times, we want the blessings, but we want to do it our way. God is not a Burger King God. We joke about that on Wednesday nights. You know, we've got a couple specials. You know, one begins with, I won't do that. I don't know what that sounds like. Or one at the master's special, I'm going to say it a different way, you know. And we just, we chuckle about it. The other one is uh, the Jevons special, you know. Uh, and, and we like to do those, but that doesn't work that way. But sometimes we can get into that task. So what do we got? If this is our task, what is the issue? We've got to fight off self-centeredness and or apathy. See, why did some of the other nations not go? Some of it was because they were a little concerned if they fought against those they did trade with, they would no longer have a livelihood. It was a realistic fear. The king, he controlled it. There was a fear. Some of it may have been that some of these tribes that didn't go, they were, they were on the other side of the Jordan, kind of not let them stay there. It wasn't necessarily plan A, but he, he wouldn't allow them. But there happened to you know what? It doesn't bother us. It's not really my issue. So, go on. There's one of these uh, tribes here that is listed, in, you know, uh, where, uh, I think it's Maraz, where it's this idea that, that uh, Barak's army tried to kind of get refilled. They needed something there, and they're like, eh. Not our issue, not our fight. Go just be on your way. And God says, curse on them. I think what we see is God wants us to be open to hospitality to those who come around us. Because God will use the willing and the able. This isn't able as in you have to have the might. This is able as in you're open up. Barak may have had the might, but he doesn't get the victory, does he? If you read in Judges 4 and 5, 
we, we read this other character, Jael, who went out, she was a part of the tribe of Kinez, the Kenites. And they were kind of friendly, you know, with the Canaanites, they at least weren't enemies. And we have this really interesting situation that unfolds. And we see there's a whole lot of things wrong with this situation. Caesarea, I believe, was trying to take advantage of his position as a commander and a man. He should have gone to Jael's husband for help. That's the custom of the days. You don't just impose on a woman in those days. And if you do, it was rightfully some see within this that, that Jael is starting to get this, uh-oh, i got to be careful here because something's not right. Could she have been another oppressed individual? We don't know. There's a lot that starts to lean its way there. He tells her to let him in the tent. He says, give me something to drink. And then stand in the doorway and lie on my behalf. Now, generally speaking, you ladies are pretty perceptive. And if you were to hear the words, hey, if some man comes to your tent looking for another man, tell them I, I'm not here. And that one man that's in your tent is a commander of an army, uh, you're probably going, oh, what have I gotten myself into? Obviously, this guy may not be safe. Yeah. And God uses the willing and the able to complete his will. I don't think the book, the book of Judges applauds the way Jael did it. But if you read Judges 4 and 5, you realize that she's just a minor character in a greater story. The story of God delivering his people, God being faithful to his promises, God being merciful and kind. And she gets the job. And we see in Judges 5 the beauty of all that is taking place. We read in the beginning, Hear this, you kings. Listen, you rulers. I, even I, Deborah, will sing to the Lord. I will praise the Lord, the God of Israel, in song. So, Lord, may all your enemies perish. May all who love you be like the sun when it rises in its strength. What has God said? See, to go back to the story with Barak, Deborah, the prophet of God, says, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go, take with you 10,000 men of the valley of Zebulun and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, the commander of Jamin, Jamin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River and give him into your hands. I mean, that's a pretty specific thing, right? He told him how he, where to go, and the fact that his enemy was going to come this way, 
and sets up the stage of Judges 5, where at the Kishon River, God was going to take care of them. But, Barak doesn't go. Instead, we read again in Judges 4.14. Has not the Lord God gone ahead of you? Go. God has said, go, church. God has said, do the works of God, church. God has said, serve, church. God has said, love, church. And he says, I'm already going ahead of you, so you're going to help advance the kingdom, or I'm going to use the willing and the able. I'm going to use the foolish things of this world so that my kingdom is advanced. But I'm giving you, church, the opportunity to be a part of my kingdom, to do, to serve, to go, and to love as the way of the kingdom. And there is no room for, I don't think I can do it. God says, no, go. The writer Matthew says, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Go, pray. And what does Jesus do right after that? He sends. And those 72 and 12 disciples didn't have much time to go, wait a minute, Jesus, you haven't told us how to do this, this, and this. So go. He says, the Spirit will tell you what to say. The Spirit will give you the words and the works to do. Go. And they went. And the same will be true today. Do you want to see that show up and show off in your life? Do you want to have an experience of God? Do you want to have the blessings of God? Then go, do, serve, and love. And you will see all of those things happen. Not because you deserve it. You don't. But you, like the book of Judges, will be a reminder to yourself and to everyone else that the Lord is on his throne. In the song of Deborah, as they start to close and wrap us into communion, it says this, The Lord went out from Seir, he marched from the land of Edom, the earth shook, the heavens poured, the clouds poured down water, the mountains quaked before the Lord, the one of Sinai, before the Lord, the God of Israel. There, the nation of Canaan is subdued. One of the funny things is, there is hints throughout all of this that the nation of Canaan, one of their gods was Baal, who was the king over nature and rain. And how does the people of Canaan who worship this god of rain get washed away by the creator god of all rain? So that the nation would have a story and God would be praised. I wonder if we're on the precipice of another transformation, revival, or call what you want. I think we see it in other countries. I think we see it in China. I think we see it in um, Africa. I think we see it in the Middle East. 
And I wonder if we will see it here. But I know this. Whether it becomes a transformation of our nation like the Great Awakenings of old, when we as God's people go and do and serve and love and pray, God will show up and he will show up. Because that's what scripture seems to indicate he does. And if we don't think that's true, then we come to this time of communion that reminds us that God showed up and he showed off in a very unexpected way by being nailed to a cross, taking the foolishness and the shamefulness of the world and saying, I can overcome this. I can do this because I am God. And it reminds us that our new exodus, or maybe we as God's people who have had that original exodus of salvation, that it's not only in Christ, we need a new renewal of that time. We need a new judge, a Deborah, a, a, a Ehud, an Othniel, to remind us that the battles we face this day are the Lord. And because of his faithfulness on the cross, he is faithful to you and to me this day. So will you trust? This is what we do with communion. We take on this idea that I, as I take the cup, as I take a wine or juice, and I take the bread, I am submitting myself again to say, I trust the king's plan. I trust that he really does know what he's doing. And I just say, here I am, Lord. Use me. Here I am. Broken, fallen from within, not old enough, not young enough. I don't have the right whatever. Dale wins the battle with a tenth head and a hammer. Those aren't military weapons, folks. Not even those things. He needs a willing and able person that is empowered by the Holy Spirit to say, here I am. Sin, use me. And that's where we see that every page of Scripture for God does. Whatever the privilege is. He can use Rahab. He can use you. He can use a Samson Totally close it. He can use me. If he can use a donkey, he can use a lot of us. If the stones will cry out, if the trees will clap their hands, he can use me and you. The difference between a tree and you and me is we fight, it doesn't. So maybe as we come to communion, you lay down your power and your might and you pick up the Spirit of God so that the words of the prophet brings you not by power nor by might but by my Spirit says the Lord that that will be run.